Andrew, the lead pastor here at Coastal Church in Chesapeake. And again, it's so good to be with you. Hey, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look, that statement that Jesus made is one that we consistently need to be checking on in every single season. In fact, we first began this series asking the question, what is it that has our heart? Because what has our heart, what we treasure, it actually matters. Come on, do you have a heart for the kingdom? We're in the very last week of our series, A Heart for the Kingdom. And we've been doing this for the past eight weeks. And we first began that with the series, first began this series by asking that question, what has our hearts? And again, your heart, when often used in the Bible, is not necessarily talking about that little organ inside of our bodies that's pumping blood to all areas of our body. When Jesus was talking about the heart, he's talking about that place in a person where what we actually think and feel come into alignment, where what we actually know and believe are actually carried out in our actual behavior and how we're responding to situations and circumstances. Look, we're going to see today that the people in Nehemiah, look, they did have their hearts in the right place. After completing this kingdom-building project, but we're going to also see that the people of God, look, we need to stay on guard because a season of victory might lead to a season of complacency, which might lead to a season of compromise. So we begin this series with the question, what has our hearts? And I want to conclude this series by asking you two questions. So the first question, are you ready for it? Okay. All right. Let me try that again, okay? The first question, are you ready for it? There we go. All right, good. Maybe you're not ready for it. I don't know. All right. Here it is. Write this down. First question. Do you remember what you signed up for? Come on. Do you remember what you signed up for? And maybe even another way to ask the question is, have you ever signed up for something and you regretted it? Um, you guys may remember last week I talked about how my wife and I, we were married back in August 4th of 2007. In fact, here's a picture of us when we were leaving our reception uh, back August 4th, 2007. I know some of you guys might look at that picture and think, man, how in the world did a beautiful, godly girl like that choose someone like this? First of all, why are you wondering that, okay? Like, like stop thinking that. I think that too, but you guys don't need to be thinking that. But anyway, so this is after our wedding was over, and we were heading out, leaving our reception, and getting ready to go on our honeymoon. Now, I did not regret marrying my wife, okay? I did not regret signing up for that and engaging in that. But while we were on our honeymoon, um, we went down to Central Florida for our honeymoon. And while we were in Central Florida, one of the places that we visited, they said, look, we will give you $75 if you come to a timeshare presentation. And I remember thinking, man, $75, it was 2007, $75, like, man, sign me up. I was like, I'm going to be there. Let's go. And then so I went to this, we went to this timeshare presentation. In fact, here is us right here stuck in the room with all the other people waiting to go through the timeshare presentation. And church let me to say after three hours, after we were entering the fourth hour, I regretted what we had signed up for. When we finally got to the part after they gave us the tour, after they held us in captivity for three hours, after we got to the part where they actually were trying to present the timeshare, we went through like pretty much this berating 
Like, they made us feel like if we didn't buy a timeshare, that, man, our kids were going to end up in prison one day. We probably weren't going to go to heaven. Like, none of us were not even saved. Like, they made us think if we didn't get this thing, man, our eternity was going to be lost. And they berated us, trying to get us to buy this timeshare. And after four hours, I regretted what I had signed up for. Do you feel that way when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? Do you remember what you signed up for? Do you regret what you signed up for? See, what you signed up for, you trusted in Christ, was not a presentation of a different life. It was a presentation of a life that involves full dedication, a presentation of a life that involves full surrender, full consecration, a complete surrender to Christ. Man, we're going to see today in this last part of this series that after all the victories that God led the people to, after all the victories that God led the people through, after they completed this kingdom-building project, man, after they heard the word of God, And they were lifting their hands and bowing their heads, seeing God in the right position, seeing themselves in the right position. After they saw the unity and the clarity and when the humility that God wanted to bring through his word. We're going to see here that again, God makes it clear what he had called them to and what he had asked them to sign up for and trusting him and following him. But then we're going to see in chapter 13 that they began to drift back to what was. We're going to see that God never asked them to sign up for drift. What he asked them to sign up for was complete dedication to him, complete consecration to him. So come on, church. Are you ready to finish this series? Are you ready to get into the word of God today? Look, if you're ready, shout amen, and then slap three people around you. Tell them, hey, you signed up for this. You signed up for this. Look, if you're here today, you signed up for this. And no matter who you are today, no matter where you're at, I don't believe you're here by mistake. God in his sovereignty, again, despite road closures, despite it being a beautiful day, you probably should be out on the boat instead. You came here to this place today. I believe God had you here for a reason. If you're far from God today, and he wants you to know the, the glorious aspect of the gospel. That even though our sin breaks us, man, this Jesus who is God died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. But he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and the grave, making a way for you. And he wants you to know today that that's what he's asking you to sign up for. And if you've been walking with Jesus for years, man, I believe he has something for you today. Because even today, man, there's still some things that he wants you to dedicate, to surrender, and even to clean out out of your life. And it's not to break you, but man, it's to make you free. God has something for you today in his word. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. This is what Nehemiah records here. Now we're going to read through verse 17. I'm going to skip just a couple of verses in there. We're going to start in verse 1 and get down to verse 17. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled and with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place 
and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. Now, pause right there for a moment, okay? Because remember, we talked about this again last week. Last week in chapter 8, it says that from, from morning until midday, they worshiped the Lord, they read the book of the law, and they prayed and they sought the Lord. And now here in chapter 9, it says for a quarter of the day, and then for another quarter of the day, they worshiped the Lord. They read from the book of the law. They read from God's word, but they also confessed their sins to the Lord. They were in this confession and prayer and worship, confession and prayer and worship. And let me just remind you, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, increase the time that you're spending with him. Now, when it comes to your quiet time, if you've been just reading, again, just a verse of the day, increase it. Read a couple chapters of scripture a day. If you've been spending just time in prayer, just praying for your food every day, increase it. Man, spend more time in prayer with the Lord. It is always good to increase the amount of time you're dedicating to the Lord. It says for a quarter of the day, for another quarter, they make confession and worship the Lord, their God. Then in verse 4, it says, On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunny, Sheribiah, Benai, and Shanani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Benai, Hashabaniah, Sheribiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, Pathathiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven. You made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promises. For you, Lord, are righteous. Then verse 16, but they, and our fathers acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return into slavery in Egypt. But, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. Come on, church, do you remember what you signed up for? Man, Nehemiah takes a moment, and he records this scene where the people take time, and they're like, look, God, you're the one who called us. God, you're the one who chose us. You're the one who rescued us. You're the one who delivered us. But God, we were the ones who were wayward from you. 
They're admitting they're the ones who are far from God, who rebelled against him, who chose sin in seasons over their creator. But they're saying again, God, you are the one who's been faithful in every single season, even despite our own rebellion. God, you are the one who's been faithful. And it's like Nehemiah is challenging the people to remember, recording the scene to challenge them to remember, look, do you remember what it is that you signed up for? And here, I think, for the follower of Jesus is a couple of reminders for us. And one of the first reminders and looking at who, and remember what we signed up for, is remember that the follower of Jesus signed up for covenant, not convenience. Man, a little change in your notes there. Look, the follower of Jesus signs up for covenant, not convenience. Again, Nehemiah records that the people and the Levites and the spiritual leaders Take a moment to remind them that God himself has made a covenant with them. You know, covenants weren't just some sort of law or obligation that the people were engaging in. People would actually swear an oath. And then sometimes they would even make a sacrifice. So they would take an animal and they would split the animal in half. And the two people making a covenant would actually walk between the animal and they would say, look, if we break this covenant, let us be like this animal. When husbands and wives were actually getting married, they would make two small cuts on their hands. And to say with their marriage covenant that they were joining together, they would put their hands together with those two small cuts on it. Uh, the blood would mix, and then the priest would actually wrap um, something around, tie their hands together, saying that these two are now in covenant, that it shouldn't be broken, that this covenant should remain, that there's no separation that can happen now. Like a covenant had great weight to it, and it was often sealed with a sacrifice. It's like both parties were saying, we will, I will. We will not under any circumstance break this covenant. We're going to keep our word. You know, there was a time I was teaching on this word covenant and what it meant in some of the different covenants in the Bible. And the computer I was using at the time, every time I would type the word covenant, it would actually put up this word instead. It would suggest convenient. It's like it was saying, do you really want covenant or do you want something that's convenient? Every single time I would type the word, the computer kept suggesting, like, maybe you really want something that's way easier that you can easily get out of instead. Church, the follower of Jesus, we don't sign up for convenience. We sign up for covenant. And here, man, God takes a moment to remind the people that he is entering into a covenant with them. Man, he is not going to break his word. But again, this is a moment where the people have a chance themselves to re-up to remember what it is that they signed up for, not convenience, but instead this covenant with the Lord. But then look what happens next in verse 38. It says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now again, bear with me as I read some more names to you. Again, remember these names are not here by mistake. The Lord put them in the Bible on an inspiration of the Holy Spirit for a reason. So he says, look, on the seals of this covenant are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Peshur, Amariah, Malkijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, and Obadiah, Daniel, 
Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Mibijamin. Sorry, it's my Jamaican roots coming out right there. Messiah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, and then he says, these are the priests and the Levites. Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Binuai, the son of Hanadad, Cadmiel and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Peleah, Hanan, Micah, Rahab, Hashbiah, Zakur, Sherebia, Shebaniah, Hodiah, we're almost done. Benai, Beninu, and then the chiefs of the people, Perish, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Benai, church, we are going to make it, all right? Bunny, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Big Vi, Big Boy, Adin. After that, Hezekiah, Azur, Hadiah, Hashem, Bazai, Haref, Anathoth, Nabai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hazir, Measurable, Zadok, Jadua, Palatia, Hanan, Anaya, Hesea, Hananiah, Hashab, Haloesh, Pilha, Shobek, Raham, Hashbanah, Messiah, Ahaya, Hanan, Anan, Malak, Haram, and Bena. Look, 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 okay, okay, okay. Again, I know sometimes like we have the tendency when we see these long lists of genealogies or records in the Bible to skip over them. But then just look a little bit closer at why Nehemiah recorded these names. Like you said, look, these are the priests, the Levites, the chiefs of the people, and then here's Nehemiah, the one who led this incredible vision from the Lord. He's saying that these people put their names to the covenant. They signed their names. Again, like he's saying, look, do you remember what you signed up for? It's not convenience, it's covenant. And then they're saying, look, we are gonna put our names back on this saying that we are in covenant with the Lord. And it's the leaders of the people who are going first. But then it's so interesting because it's not just the leaders of the people who say we're going to be in covenant with God. We're not, it's not just the leaders of the people putting their names to this. Look what happens next in verse 28 of chapter 10. Then it says the rest of the people. So the whole of God said we are in this covenant with the Lord. Look, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants and all who separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter to a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. That was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. And then they said in verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or, or another holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of tithes to the house of God, to the chamber of the storehouse, 
for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. And then they said, we will not neglect the house of God. Look, church, a follower of Jesus signs up for covenant, not convenience. But the follower of Jesus also signs up for Christ over culture. Look, this is something that we've been saying around here for the past few months as a reminder. Look, we're going to choose Christ over culture. If the Lord has said it, we're going to submit to it. And it's so interesting right here that, again, Nehemiah records the people. It wasn't just the leaders. It wasn't just the chief priests. It was all the people saying, look, we are going to choose what God has said rather than any other cultural norm happening out in the world. In fact, look back at verse 30. He says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day as well, we will not buy for them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every death, every debt. Now, right here, okay, let me just say, first of all, this is not about ethnicity or race. This is about when you marry someone or you're deeply committed to someone who worships other gods. Because the people, sometimes like people who are interpreting scripture, has said that this is the main reason why like no other ethnic group, no race of people like should intermingle. We should all remain separate. That has never been part of God's design or what it is that he's declared in his word. And people interpret the Bible that way. They don't understand that we all came from Adam and Eve to begin with, and they were all descendants of Noah's family. They don't understand that we're all just different shades of melanin, and maybe we're different from different parts of the world or speak different languages, but there is only one race, and that is the human race. Man, what the Lord is saying here is that you, it is not good for the people of God to be married to or deeply committed to people who worship other gods because they will pull you away from your covenant that you've agreed and that you've set before the Lord. In fact, real time right here, real time right now, look, young adult in the room, or maybe someone who wants to be married again, if you are in a relationship with someone who is worshiping other gods, man, the scripture warns so many times that we should not be deeply connected or even married to people who are worshiping other gods because they're going to pull you away from the covenant agreement that you've made with the Lord. Like it is a warning that God gives us because he wants, he's saying, look, he's going to keep his covenant agreement with you and he wants the same thing for you to do with him. And then real time for all of us, zooming out for all of us, when the follower of Jesus is saying, look, we're going to choose Christ over culture. Look, what we're really saying is that we're not going to let any cultural norm be the Lord and leader of our lives. Because Jesus is. The Savior is. We choose Christ over culture. But this also shows us that the follower of Jesus, man, we sign up for contribution, not consumerism. Man, we sign up to actually contribute to the things of God, to not just consume. Look at verse 38 again. It says, the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, and when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of God, 
to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are all, are, are, or, well, excuse me, where the vessels of the sanctuary, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. Look, what we signed up for is the fueling of the building of God's kingdom. And again, here you see the people are not just consuming, but they're contributing. May you see the gatekeepers, the singers, the priests, the Levites, but then all the people said, hey, we are not going to neglect the house of God. Again, this is a challenge for us as New Testament or New Covenant believers that we are not going to neglect the building of God's kingdom. We will be contributors to what God has called us to do. Come on, church, do you remember what you signed up for? If you've trusted in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you remember that it's covenant, not convenience? Do you remember that it is Christ over culture? Man, we're not going to let any ideology or theory in the world lead us away from what it is that God has said in his word. Do you remember that you are called to be a contributor, not a consumer? I mean, here we see the people say, look, we are on board. We remember what we signed up for. In fact, we're going to re-up. We're committing ourselves back to the things of God. Man, we're going to do what God has called us to do. We're going to follow him. We're going to trust him. Man, they were repenting of sin. They were worshiping the Lord, following his word, quarter of the day, quarter of the afternoon. I mean, they were leaning into their relationship with God, hardcore going after them. Remember what they signed up for. Remembering that God had called them to covenant with him. They were fully engaged. But then church chapter 13 happens. And the people begin to drift. Verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, On the day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. And as soon as the people heard the law, They separated from Israel all of those of foreign descent. But now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the court's of the house of our God. Now, pause right there for a moment, okay? Look, Nehemiah is saying, look, the people have chosen. They're in covenant with the Lord, leaning into what God has said, worshiping the Lord, confessing sin, turning their hearts back, to, back toward him, saying, look, we are all in. We are re-upping our commitment. We remember what we signed up for. We're going to sacrifice and praise the Lord. We're going to do all these things. But then Nehemiah says here, that the people 
started to turn away. And here we see that there is this guy named Tobiah, that this priest Eliashib literally clears out a portion of the temple and he moves in this guy named Tobiah. Now, I know everyone in this room remembers who Tobiah was and what he did, but I don't think Pastor Brian does, so I'm going to remind him, okay? So bear with me while I, remain, while I remind Pastor Brian who Tobiah was. Turn back to Nehemiah chapter 4 and listen to this. Verse 1. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of the brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Verse 3, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Look, Tobiah was one of the opponents of God, one of the opponents of the people of God. He was one of the enemies of God. And so, so check this out, okay? Eliashib, this priest, clears out this section of the house of God where all these dedicated, consecrated things are, and he makes room for the enemy of God to come in. Here's my second question for you, okay? You remember what you signed up for, right? And number two, will you choose compromise or consecration? Man, Eliashib literally clears out the temple, clears out a portion of the temple, and he literally lets sin begin to settle in to the house of God. He makes room for sin to come into his life. Look, church, compromise is when we let sin in and we actually let it settle. Compromise is when God is anything less than first in our lives. Is sin settling in your life right now? Or is God first? Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Look, it is my prayer that we as a church, that we would not let sin settle. But instead we'd be convicted by it, and it wouldn't become our identity or even our normality. But when it happens, then we would confess it before the Lord. Compromise is when we let that sin settle in our lives. Compromise is when God is less than anything first in our lives. But are we going to choose compromise or are we going to choose consecration? Again, Nehemiah, who's been leading the people this entire time, look what he says in verse 8. So Nehemiah, like he actually goes away because he had a commitment and he was keeping his promises. He told the king back in chapter 2, look, when, when it, the time comes, I will return to you. So he actually went and did that. And when he was away is when the people began to let sin back into our lives, into, the, into their lives. And in verse 8, Nehemiah says, look, I was very angry. And he says, I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And he says, I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, 
with the grain offering and the frankincense. So now Nehemiah consecrated. He did this reordering of the house of God. And Nehemiah chose consecration over compromise. You know, I heard a pastor give a very good definition of consecration, and here it is, okay? Remember these components. Consecration is cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication. Consecration is cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication. Man, we see that consecration is when we actually seek God first in everything. That's sacrifice. We see that consecration is when sin is not normal, but sanctification is. That's the cleansing that God wants to do in all of us. It's what Nehemiah was trying to show the people here. Look, he said, it says here that he was very angry and that he took action in a godly way. He would clean the temple just like Jesus would do one day. Remember, he was pointing to something deeper. He was showing the people that, look, there is this cleansing that the Lord continues and needs to do in our hearts, in our lives. Look, church, God does not want us to return to what was, to what was sinful. But if we do, he doesn't want us to stay. Now, I know some of you may not remember the last point from last week, but last week I gave one point at the very end of the service, and and we were talking about the more that God still wants to do in us. One of the mores is that we need to experience more brokenness over sin, but also more freedom from condemnation. Look, there's something about the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see just how holy he is, the more you see just how righteous he is, the closer you get to God, the more you actually see the depths of your sin, the more you actually see just how broken you are, but again, how you have received such a great and glorious salvation because of Christ. It's like you begin to have a higher view of God, a lower view of yourself, but even in that, man, God does not bring condemnation. He actually brings freedom. Man, church, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I see that God still needs to do more cleansing in me. Sometimes I think he's already gotten all of it, but then sometimes he's like, hey, I'm going to shine a light on this right here. I'm going to show this to you. You need to confess it to me. I need to do some more cleansing in this area of your life. And it's not like he's doing it to condemn me, but he's actually doing it to produce more freedom. I don't know if you maybe think this, but Pastor Andrew has not arrived. I still sin. I still mess up, both in my attitude and also my actions. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my lovely wife came down with whatever sickness has been going around. And she was coughing, fever, chills, all of these things. And she was still serving our family. And then just last week, I think it was on a Monday, like she was still sick. And then I, I came home and we had dinner together. Then after dinner was over, uh, she went to sit on the couch and then the kids were cleaning up all the dishes. And then I went and I sat down on the couch next to her. And right at that moment, my wife asked me for something in their sweetest voice while she was sick. My wife said, sweetheart, <laughs> can you get me my Tylenol? It's time for me to take my Tylenol for my fever. <laughs> and then you would have thought, okay, my sweet golly wife. I've been married to for 16 years. You would have thought in that moment, I would have been, of course, blessed daughter of God. You've been my beloved for 16 years. You are the mother of my children. 
You are a daughter of the Most High God. Of course, with, with force and henceforth, witherto, I will get you whatever thine heart desires right now in this moment. But church, in that moment, you want to know one of the first thoughts that came to my mind? My first thought was, what about me? I've been working all day. The kitchen's just right over there. I know she's coughing, but her legs still work. She can go get up and get something herself. I remember thinking, man, doesn't she know, like, I've been working all day too. Like, I want to sit on this couch. And all these selfish thoughts going through my mind with a very long hesitation to serve my wife. Now, eventually I did get up and I got her a Tylenol. I didn't throw it at her, but I gave it to her. And then the next day, okay, the next day I was driving down 64, and, and church, oftentimes when I'm driving down 64, like my little car becomes my, my prayer chapel, and oftentimes I'm praying in there, which is a great time to pray, by the way, where you're on the highway so you don't send up any wrong signals to anybody, um, so even in traffic you're inviting the presence of God, but it is a great time to pray. So my car becomes this little mobile prayer chapel. Oftentimes I'm praying, I'm praising God for all the incredible things that he's doing, our family, man, in this church. And then oftentimes I get to this place of repentance. Well, I'll pray Psalm 51, where I'll say, God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And then 1 John 1 verse 9 says, look, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm praying that God would do that deeper work in me to continue to show me the areas where, look, he still needs to do some cleansing and some cleaning because, again, he's not condemning me, but he wants to produce more freedom in me. And so in that moment, I'm praying, I say, God, would you create in me a clean heart? And seriously, before, it's almost as if before I can even finish praying that verse and asking God to reveal anything to me, the first thing that came to mind was Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So much so that Jesus was willing to die for the church. And it's almost like the Lord was saying, look, Andrew Segree. You couldn't even get up off the couch to serve your wife. How are you going to be willing to die for her? When I've commanded you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And in that moment, church, I'm telling you, I felt the conviction of the Lord. And I repented before the Lord. And I said, God, I'm so sorry for my selfish heart. And you would think that in that moment, like, again, it would be condemnation. But, man, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like in that moment of confession, man, God actually brought more freedom. I went and confessed it to my wife as well. I confessed my attitude of sin toward her. And even in that, it was met with forgiveness, not condemnation, but the freedom that comes in Christ. And this is what I want the norm to be for all of us. I want us to understand that we do not let sin settle. But what is normal is when God is consecrating us. We don't let sin settle because sin is not going to be the norm, but sanctification is. This cleansing is. When God works in us, again, Nehemiah, man, he cleansed the temple, but he was sharing something so much deeper for all of us. The closer you get to God, the more broken you are over your sin, the more God convicts you, the more you confess, but he does not condemn you. He cleanses you. He strengthens you. You experience more freedom from shame. In fact, listen to how the Apostle Paul described this in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Come on, this is covenant, not convenience. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Come on, choose Christ over culture according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised and with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off a body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt and stood against, uh, that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Churches, we wrap up this series. Do you remember what you signed up for? And are you going to choose compromise or consecration? Look, there's something about realizing that even right now, we should not let sin settle in our hearts. Instead, we, could, we should confess it and let God continue to do his cleansing work in us. Look, as our worship team comes back to the stage, we're going to conclude the service doing something a little bit different today. We're going to take a moment, and in this room, you're going to see two crosses up here. And I was really captured by this idea of consecration. That is cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication. All throughout this series, we've been talking about, look, every area of our lives needs to be submitted to the Lord. But sometimes, just like Eliashib did, Sometimes we begin to clear out the things of God and we begin to let sin settle. So right now in your life, look, is there a sin that has began to settle in your life? Man, is there an idol that you began to pick up again and you're letting that thing lead you instead of the Lord lead you? Because compromise is letting anything but God be first in your life. But consecration is seeing God first in every area of your life. So is he first in every area? Or is there an idol right now sitting on some of the thrones in your life? Consecration is when we don't let sin settle, but when we let God sanctify us. So is there a sin right now that you need to confess to the Lord, both in action or even in attitude? Look, Christ doesn't condemn us, but he gives us more freedom when we confess to him. So today we're going to let God do some cleansing work in us because we remember that he has triumphed over these things. The victory's already been won, but he wants us to continue to confess, and so he can do his cleansing work in us. So up here, there's two crosses, and then on your seat, you have these little white cards, and it's time to take a moment and write down some sins that you are still struggling with, and that you've been picking up again, that you've been keeping near to you. And I want to challenge you to write it down, and just as a moment of confession, say, God, you know what? I have returned to this. Lord, this sin has been creeping back up in my life again. This idol, I've picked it up again. 
But Lord, none of that is more important to you. God, I want to confess it to you. And when we confess it, man, God does his cleansing work in us. So I want you to write down whatever those sins are, whatever those idols are. And then I want you to take it in some hammers and nails up here. And I want you to nail it to the cross. Not saying that you're doing the work on your own, but you're saying, God, look, I still need you. I know you've triumphed over this. You've dismissed the powers and authorities over this. But I want to give it to you. I want to surrender it to you again so you can keep doing your cleansing work in me. And then after you do that, there's communion set up on both sides of the room. I want you to grab a communion cup, and I want you to head back to your seat, and then we're going to take communion all together. And then maybe you're in this room right now, and again, you've never trusted Jesus. You've never completely surrendered your life to him, and maybe your life right now is defined by sin and shame, and God doesn't want you to live in sin and shame. He wants you to repent of that sin, to believe the good news about Jesus, and surrender your life to him. So maybe if you're sitting in this room today and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, but you're ready, all you need to do to write on that card is say, Jesus, I'm giving you my whole life, and then bring it up here and nail it to the cross. Say, God, I'm trusting you today as the Lord and leader of my life. Church, I know God's still working on me. Man, my selfish heart is the one that I'm going to write down and nail to the cross because I want to surrender that selfish heart to him. I really do want him to be first in every area of my life. I don't want to clear out the things of God and make more room for sin. I want to consecrate every area of my life to him. So do you want to do the same? So I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to sing a song. And then again, you move as God leads you. Father God, thank you again for your word. God, thank you, Lord, for these examples that you've given us in scripture, God. And it's a reminder, look, Lord, none of us are perfect. God, we are a broken people. God, I thank you, Lord, for the incredible covenant that you've made with us. Lord. We trust you as Lord. You don't abandon us. God, you don't neglect us. God, you don't move away. But Lord, you continue to call us and to draw us back to you. And God, you say, look, even those dark places that no one else knows about, God, even those things that I, uh, my spouse doesn't know about, that I've kept secret, even those things where you want to shine some light on, because, Lord, you want to do your cleansing work to draw us even closer to you. God, thank you that you've already given us the victory. You've taken our sin out of the way by nailing it to the cross. You've triumphed over it. Thank you, God, that even now you're still working on us. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just forgive us every time, every time. In Christ's name.